Welcome to Frontline Voices on Disaster Response, sponsored by Verizon. Now, J.J. Green. All right, Deputy Chief, thank you for taking time to join us. Um, Let me just start with this question. Agriculture Secretary Tom Vilsack and Forest Service Chief Randy Moore have launched a comprehensive response to the nation's growing wildfire crisis. And I believe they announced that on the 18th of January. And this involves, I believe, a 10-year strategy. Can you explain how that works? Uh, Yes, I will. Thank you for that question. And um, we're really excited to be able to uh, launch our strategy and uh, be able to anchor uh, that to that for the next uh, 10 years. And what we're really doing is looking at a science-based approach for significantly scaling up our hazardous fuels treatments across landscapes together with partners. So, you know, when we're talking about hazardous fuels treatments, we're talking about those overstocked forests that have, you know, say a lot of small trees when normally they would have large spaced out trees. Uh, And that is due primarily to fire exclusion, but also pressures from development, you know, climate change, other factors like insects and disease. We've been treating hazardous fuels uh, across the landscape together with our partners uh, for many years and doing so in a focused way for about 20 years. And we've had some really great success from that, uh, including, uh, for example, with the recent Caldor fire, we know that hazardous fuel treatments in South Lake Tahoe helped spare uh, that uh, community. But what we also know is that the pace and scale of wildfires is uh, significantly larger than the fuels treatments we've been able to do up until now. So the strategy uh, gives us a science-based way of focusing on the highest risk places, the places that uh, provide the most exposure to communities and being able to name those and focus our resources and our partners' resources in those places first. And the funding that we are getting from the bipartisan infrastructure lot is really going to help us make a down payment on that. That was one of my follow-up questions, uh, the forest service, uh, forest management. Um, You kind of touched on this, but explain how important that is. Um, thinning out forest and dealing with that kind of thing. When, it, when, when, we, when we take a look at where we are now with what experts have been telling me has been an increasing amount of wildfires that don't necessarily happen in the season where they're expected. Right. It's absolutely critical. It's absolutely critical that we scale up uh, hazardous fuels treatments uh, in these most critical at-risk places. That's the only way that we're going to get in front of this. You know, we've had Um, pretty significant disruption to our landscapes for over 100 years. Uh, Again, I say primarily from fire exclusion. Our our forests are fire adapted. They need fire. And that is a bit of a paradox. But right now, most of them, especially in the West, are not in a state where they can receive fire in a healthy way. And so we've got to get in there and do those treatments, take out those small trees, get the forest back to um, the distribution of trees and the size of trees and the spacing of trees that they had more historically. And uh, we absolutely need to do that across all landscapes, not just on forest service land, but on on forests across all of our landscapes. And it's gonna take uh, significant partnerships, partnerships with states, localities, tribes, industry plays a critical role as well, uh, because we also need uh, ways that we can use these byproducts from these uh, treatments. So that's, uh, like I said, it's absolutely critical that that we scale up our fuels treatments. What kind of resources do you provide to your state and local partners? And what are the uh, the most important messages and themes that you're sharing with them? 
Well, um, you know, fire response and fuels management is an all lands uh, endeavor. So it, it takes all of us, states, localities, uh, federal, tribal, uh, cities, and volunteers, everybody. So we have a really deep partnership with our uh, state and local partners, especially in the fire response realm. Uh, we all respond to fires. It, it's sort of non-jurisdictional. So we all resp respond to fires together, no matter whose land it's on. You know, and this may be a state fire and you'll see a lot of federal uh, responders get to the scene first because of where they're located. So uh, our fire response partnerships um, run deep. We have agreements with every single state. Uh, we support uh, localities as well. We have agreements with a lot of localities. We also provide funding for training, for equipment. Um, we have um, meetings, you know, every uh, season we do what we call preseason meetings. Even though a fire is a year-round endeavor, uh, it does affect different parts of the country during different times of year. So, uh, you know, in the part of, let's say you're, you're in the Southwest, your fire season starts around March. Uh, our folks on the ground there in National Forest are going to be having meetings with their state and local partners now to get ready for the season, to ensure that um, they have enough equipment, to ensure that they're kind of on the same page about uh, what they need in terms of um, technology, um, what different, um, you know, tactics they may be taking based on what kind of weather they're anticipating. So it, it's, it's almost hard to describe the depth of our partnerships and how we work together with states and localities, but um, those are just some examples that I hope are helpful. Yes, and um, just uh, a quick follow to that, the importance of communications with stakeholders before an incident. Can you address that? Yeah, that's absolutely critical. Uh, I almost call it, a, it's kind of the silver bullet if we can do this preseason work together before the fire's on the ground, right? Because when the fire's on the ground and it's an emergency and, and people's homes are threatened, that's not the time to be having these conversations. So we back those conversations up. We start now when there's not smoke in the air, when there's not fire in the ground. We sit down together around maps and we say, you know, let's agree that this ridge uh, makes the most sense for us to establish a fire break, for example, or for us to set up a command post or for us to, to have as the line that we're going to defend. And let's agree that this area that is far away from a community or in a really difficult place to get to is not an ideal place to engage a fire when it comes. We'll look at past fires. We'll, we'll look at, um, we'll even do simulations taking into account thousands of potentials and how a fire might move across the landscape in that place. And we're doing that in conjunction with our researchers who are always giving us new tools that we can help uh, have these conversations with our state and local partners. And the more and more that we can do that, the, the easier it is for us to make these hard decisions together when the smoke is in the air and when it's kind of at that critical juncture. So um, we, we've been doing these kind of preseason meetings for a long time, but we've gotten I think better and better about using these new research-based tools and technology to help us have even more robust and informed conversations. Could you explain or just talk a little bit about how the Forest Service's ability and approach to responding to these evolving fires? I mean, they seem to be getting more intense and more frequent. How it's evolved or how it's changed in the last decade or so, your ability to respond so, you know, I'll just emphasize again, um, it's, it's always a, an all hands approach. It's an all hands on deck. So uh, rarely are we dealing with a fire, which just for a service, you know, so we're always working together 
with our Department of Interior uh, partners as well as our state and local partners and with contractors. But um, you know, a couple of things that I think are really critical to highlight that have changed, uh, especially I won't even say in the last decade, has really been you know in the last three to five years that we are seeing just this unprecedented fire behavior, uh, much of which is driven uh, by wind events and by a changing climate. And so. One thing that's really been important is for us to lean in on new technology. Uh, that is critical for us uh, to really embrace innovation. And we kind of uh, follow along the same lines as a lot of the learning that the military has done. So we are really leaning into, for example, unmanned aerial uh, systems. You know, we can use these UAS or drones for, say, reconnaissance, where we used to send people in and have them be exposed to, um, you know, a flank of the fire. Now we can fly a UAS over to do that reconnaissance for us to help us better, better figure out where to put our teams. We also have been really ramping up on our tracking and our um, devices that tell us where our fire resources are. And um, so, you know, essentially people will wear trackers or we'll put them on equipment. And then um, the incident commanders who are at the command post can see visually on a screen what we call a common operating picture. And we know where the resources are and what they're doing. And we have the ability to using other technology that say can help us with weather prediction, help us with fire spread prediction to more, um, you know, effectively put resources where they're gonna make a difference because what we don't wanna do is put firefighters and aircraft into situations where they can't be successful. You know, just having people go in and build line only for it to get burned over. That's a huge exposure to our firefighters. And if we can lean in on technology, which we have been doing, we can make better choices about the right places to put our resources. So I would say that's probably one of the biggest things that we've been doing in the last few years as we face this unprecedented fire behavior. Now, emergency response to fire, obviously, it's a two-way street. What do you need most to know from your customers, and how can they help you? Yeah, you know, that's that's a good way of putting it. It, it, it is a two-way street, and uh, we, it, we engage really closely with our communities uh, that we serve, and, um, you know, what, what we need from them, I would say, and, and a lot of communities are doing this, is for them to um, think about, you know, how they build and how they plan, um, in terms, uh, especially new developments, you know, do they have an ingress and egress that fire engines can get easily out of? Are they looking at the fuel types uh, in the area? Are they thinking about, say, what they should uh, have folks build their houses out of? And, you know, I'm not saying that we need the same kind of building codes everywhere, but just for, for community jurisdictions to kind of do that thinking when they're, when they're planning, maybe their planning department get in sync with their emergency response department. And we, we actually provide grant programs to help um, community planning departments think more about uh, fire events, think more about hazards that they may be facing. So that's uh, something that is, is really important. The other thing, especially for, for communities in the West, is to really help us, and I call it co-design, co-design those places where we need to do the treatments together that are gonna really be the most impactful at protecting communities and giving us a safe space for our firefighters to, to fight a fire. And um, so we plan together and, and, we, and we activate together in terms of these fuel treatments. And we've been doing a lot more of that. And our strategy that the, the chief and the secretary just released puts an even finer point on the importance of that co-planning and that co-design of fuel treatment. Deputy Chief, thank you so much for your time. I appreciate the opportunity to talk to you today. This has been very enlightening and insightful. 
Oh, absolutely, JJ. And I really appreciate your interest in this topic and um, the emphasis that you were placing on it and the opportunity to talk to you a little bit about the work that we do. Thank you for listening to Frontline Voices on Disaster Response, sponsored by Verizon on WTOP. 